Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, hey, good morning. It's hour two. Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is the Faith Radio Network. What kind of state do you live in? Mm-hmm. I think when we answer that question, we think of the state of Minnesota or Wisconsin or Connecticut or Florida or Georgia or Texas or Tennessee. But um, there's a lot of different ways to answer the question of what state do you live in? Massachusetts has declared itself to be in a state of emergency because... Um, People have believed what Massachusetts has said about itself. Massachusetts um, is the only state in the country that guarantees shelter to anyone who shows up. And so um, that word has gotten out and migrants have been streaming into the state of Massachusetts in what for Massachusetts are unprecedented numbers. And they now have uh, 5,600 families housed in the state's emergency shelter system. Uh, and that is well past the uh, capacity. It's, an eight, it's a number that's 80% higher than a year ago, um, according to an announcement made by the governor yesterday. And she says these numbers are being driven by a surge of new arrivals in the country. Um, these people have been through some of the hardest journeys imaginable, and they face, um, uh, as we face, you know, like our portion of the international migrant crisis. She says that Massachusetts has and will always be a beacon of hope, compassion, humanity, and opportunity. I think the challenge is um, she's making an urgent and formal appeal to the federal government um, to remove barriers and expedite work authorizations so that um, the people who are in these shelters can get jobs. And um, uh, and then once they have jobs, they'd be able to, you know, provide for themselves and their families in a way that um, you and I both know, uh, you know, there's a lot of dignity in work. And these are people who are willing to work. They just don't have work authorizations. And so you you, you can understand the complexity of the system. You can also um, recognize the challenges that are being faced in communities across the country as millions of people um, cross the southern border into the United States um, looking for a better life. And so it's an ongoing conversation. It is a conversation that needs to be met with um, real solutions. And right now there aren't any. And so let's be uh, let's be creative thinking Christians who bring the very mind of Christ to bear on this issue and every other issue that we face in the culture today. Heather Zeiger is going to join us next. Um, We like to save up our science headlines um, for Heather. And so I'm going to ask her again, what is nuclear fusion? Because there was another successful nuclear fusion test. Um, The the human mind seems endlessly uh, creative. And um, and this is one of those examples of the the, uh, a frontier related to energy. That's pretty exciting. And so um, we're going to talk with Heather about that. We'll also circle back around to an issue we've been 
tilling in a number of conversations of late. It's a conversation I had with Bill Arnold on his show yesterday afternoon. If you want to check that out, you can get the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. It's matters of life and death, like end-of-life decisions. As our parents and others we love age, um, how, how are we engaging in the very complex conversation about decisions at the end of life? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Heather Zeiger is joining us now. She is a science writer, and she works with the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. Good morning, Heather. Morning, Carmen. Nuclear fusion. Remind us what it is and what do we need to know about what's happening in nuclear fusion these days? Sure. So just to be clear, because the Oppenheimer movie recently came out, the bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that was nuclear fission. So that's breaking apart an atom. Nuclear fusion is putting two atoms together, smashing them together. So the sun does this all the time, naturally. And so what we want to do is somehow use nuclear fusion to create renewable energy. So what they're doing is smashing two um, hydrogen atoms, deuterium and tritium together, making helium, and it produces a lot of energy. So the problem is it takes a lot of energy to do that. This recent experiment with, uh, I think it was at Lawrence Liverpool National Laboratory, um, they did an experiment on July 30th, and this is the second time that they were able to make more energy than the energy required to put in to do a fusion reaction. Okay, so the sun does this all the time. When the sun does it, do we assume that the sun uses less energy to smash two atoms together in nuclear fusion? And so the sun is generating energy, or do we assume that the sun is depleting its own energy through nuclear fusion? Oh, boy, that is a good question. And I think some of the, I think some of the issue is, trying to figure that out because stars only have, our sun only has a certain amount of lifetime, lifespan, um, and yet this process is going on all of the time and it's going on with other processes in the sun. So, uh, so I think that, I think that I can't answer that question without I have asking stum- an expert I have, on that. I have stumped. I have, it's, yes. see, this is, I feel like, I feel like I've done good work this morning. Because, you know, it's my, my mind is endlessly wondering things. I'm endlessly curious. Yeah. And, and you're my point of access to all things science. So thank you for your, yeah. uh, thank you for your willingness to say, you know what? This is something that, uh, that I don't know because I don't know. So yeah. um, uh, we've been having conversations, Heather, um, around a range of things happening, not just in the culture, but in our own lives. Um, and I have had a number of conversations recently with, People my age, like I'm sandwich generation person, and so our parents um, are getting older, certainly approaching um, the reality of death. Their friends are dying. There's lots of conversations about um, what happens to their assets after they die, but they don't necessarily want to have conversations about um, as death approaches what do you want? Like, what are your, these are hard conversations. And I just thought that as technology continues to advance and all of the things that, um, that science and medicine might offer us, um, like we're tempted to just keep doing more and more things 
to our bodies to sustain these physical tents. Um, and I know that you are working on editing a book that deals with this topic of like over treatment. So I just thought, let's just talk about it. Like what is going on um, on this front and help us as Christians think about it? Yeah. So, you know, um, medical technology and modern medicine is great. You know, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for modern medicine. Um, having said that, there's a burden because with technology, there's a lot of biological processes that you can keep going even after the body has died. And so now you have questions of, okay, what is death even? Because it used to be cardiopulmonary death, heart and lung stops. Um, but also, you know, what if you're able to keep the lungs going with a mechanical ventilator, but the entire brain has shut down? And so there's all of these questions, and they're not easy to answer. Um, having said that, as Christians, um, a couple of things we can think about. So first of all, it's important to have conversations that are very clear with your loved ones. So um, let me give you four, let me give you four things to think about as Christians. And then I'll give you an example of what to say, what not to say. Mm, the four good. things to think about is that we're all going to die one day. So it's the Ash Wednesday lesson from dust you've come and to dust you shall return. So, and, um, and that's hard for us to accept that we're going to die one day and the people we love are going to die one day. That isn't a thing where you just put it off or think, ah, that doesn't, I, I can think about it abstractly. The other thing to think about as Christians is death is not good. So some people take the verse to live as Christ, to die is gained, to mean that death is good. But first Corinthians tells us death is an enemy that has been conquered. So in that sense, we have hope right? Because the, the resurrection, but we shouldn't say, you know, death is natural. That's the, I, I mean, because it biologically happens. Yes. But death was an enemy. Um, death separates, sin separates. Christ is what brings us together. So it's okay to grieve as Christians. It's okay to be torn apart because of death. It's just because it says we don't grieve like others. That doesn't mean you're not allowed to grieve or to hate the fact that you're losing this loved one for a short time. The other is um, being pro-life does not mean we worship machines. And that's, that's one that sometimes I run into where people think, oh, because I'm pro-life, I can't, you know, I can't take someone off of a ventilator, even if they have, if they have died, or I want to do everything. Um, Lydia Dugdale is a Christian physician at the University of Columbia Medical Center, and she's also the author of the book Lost Art of Dying. And she said in an interview that she herself has seen miracles happen. So she's worked in emergency rooms. She's like, miracles happen in medicine. She has seen them. She also said, God doesn't need a ventilator to work a miracle, and he doesn't need you to, quote unquote, give him more time. So sometimes people will want to leave loved ones on machines even after they have died or even if they want to keep doing things that are actually more harmful to a person or would not lead to meaningful interactions or quality of life because they want to, quote unquote, give God a chance to work a miracle. And she says, no, no, God, God, will, work, we, God will work as God works. Um, and sometimes you want, you want, it's more important to have those meaningful conversations and interactions at the end of life. And lastly, there's a saying to cure sometimes, treat often, comfort always. That's like this old saying in medicine. And anyway, there's going to come a point when we need to switch our medical priority from curing to comfort because curing is no longer possible. And this is a, particularly the case with a frail elderly. There comes a point where our goal is no longer curing a chronic disease, but to comfort. Um, so barring sudden death, all of us are going to transition to that. Okay. Can you... Um just read the four things 
we are all going to die one day. That's number one. Death is not good. Um, and then um, can and and then the third one. I just didn't get it in my notes quick enough. So can you sure. just say the third one again? Being pro-life does not mean we worship machines. Mm. Amen. And then and the last the, one. Uh, yeah, the last one. I know it's a common saying to you, but it's probably not common to us. So yeah. to treat always. To cure sometimes, oh. treat yeah, to cure often, sometimes. Mm. treat often and comfort always. Mm. Good. All right. We're going to continue our conversation with Heather Zeiger about this in just a moment. If you've got, um, if you've got a personal question related to this, um, something that you would like for us to address, something maybe you're dealing with in your own family, um, I, you know, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. So you can always text us 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at myfaithradio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. We're talking with our friend Heather Zeiger. She's a science writer. She also um, works at the intersection of the Christian faith and bioethical questions and uh, questions related to human dignity. Um, Heather, we've got an, uh, a number of folks just communicating with us about, you know, things going mm-hmm. on in our own lives. Um I'll, I'll raise um, I'll raise a question and a concern um, that was raised in a conversation um, about uh, older family members in particular. So um, in this particular case, we're talking about a very aged man. Um, he did not have a DNR order or a do not resuscitate order. And although his family claimed to be Christians, um, they made the demand in um, uh, in the hospital that uh, CPR be administered and the person that I was talking with is a physician and she's grieving what she was asked to do to that frail body because in administering CPR to that very aged body, very real physical harm was caused in trying to bring him back to quote unquote life when his body, his body was done. So can you, um, I know that you and I have both read an article in the New Yorker um, where palliative care physicians are talking about um, the the reality of CPR. Can can you just describe that to us so that we know what we're asking doctors and medical professionals to do to a human body um, when we ask them to resuscitate someone? Yeah. So, and this is this is this is one of those good cases of. Uh, the difference between someone who's younger versus someone who's older. So first of all, what you see on television is not how CPR works. That is glamorized. Um, Usually what makes good television is not necessarily what makes good medicine. Okay. So CPR, uh, if you've taken CPR classes, you know that you're making some pretty aggressive chest compressions on a person. The point is that you are beating their heart for them. And in being able to do that, you're pressing basically on their sternum in such a way that you will crack ribs. You may crush their sternum. If they're older and they don't have a strong heart, you might bruise their heart. 
older people especially, but well, this is anyone, but elderly especially, or someone that has weak lungs, you're probably, you have a high risk of puncturing a lung when you crack a rib, when you're administering CPR. Even in the hospital where it's chest compressions and a defibrillator, and they use a medication to basically shock the heart alive. um, This is brutal on a person. It's often traumatic. Um, the statistics are, I think, I think the statistics are 85% of those who receive CPR in the hospital end up dying in violent pain. So CPR is not a magical cure-all that will, that will make you well. It actually, oftentimes, you're going to die in pain. One of the palliative care physicians that uh, I have worked with, you know, he, oftentimes his patients will, they, they're hesitant to sign a DNR for their elderly loved one. Um, who has who is has a chronic disease, and he said, "You understand that not doing CPR, uh, this isn't a question of life versus death. This is a question of is your loved one going to die with CPR or die without CPR?" Um, I think that's something we need to understand. We also need to understand a do not resuscitate order doesn't mean they're not getting all the other kinds of medical care that they can get, like comfort care, or if there is something that, you know, antibiotics for an infection or that kind of thing. It means, uh, and you and you can always clarify this um, in writing, but it means do not administer uh, cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Um, I also want to say with CPR, keep in mind, like CPR works well for younger people who have a treatable injury or the cause of death is reversible. So I'm not saying CPR is bad all the time. So for example, in athletes who have sustained some sort of injury, like on the field, or they have an unknown heart condition and they collapse, this is exactly where CPR is appropriate and helpful and survival rates are good. Also in cases such as a middle-aged person who collapsed for unknown reasons, oftentimes CPR administered early before the paramedics arrive helps them with their survival. Where CPR is not helpful is in elderly whose bodies are frail or people who have chronic illness and so that it causes frailty. So if you do chest compressions on these folks, you're actually causing harm. You're not helping and you very well could kill the person. Um, When I learned this from, again, from um, an ICU doctor who was processing through she was trying to process through why she was being asked by these supposedly christian families to administer cpr and again these were aged loved ones who were dying were actively dying and she was struggling to understand why people of supposed faith um were you know were asking for this to be done and then she was dealing with the reality that you know she could feel their ribs cracking under her under her hands sometimes. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's terrible. Um, and she knew she was inflicting pain upon a, on a, upon a person who was dying. And it didn't matter how many times you were going to be asked to resuscitate grandma or grandpa, uh, you know, they are going to die. Um, and I think that, Heather, what I'm pressing us um, to think about is our theology of life and death. Yeah. And we, we have to have worked through our theology of life and death before we're standing there um, being asked to make a decision for Mm -hmm. someone we love. Um, And again, you know, Heather and I are not uh, talking about withholding any kind of life-saving treatment from 
um, uh, from a young person or a person who has had a an injury from which they need to be brought back to life in order that they can be treated. Um, we are talking about the reality that the end of life is coming for all of us and how much um, how much should be done to resuscitate a physical body, you know, once God has really brought that life to an end. So I'm pro-life. You guys know this. I'm pro-life from conception to natural death. And it's that natural death conversation that we all have to be having with one another, um, no matter what stage of life you're in. So Heather, thank you so much for um, having this portion of the conversation with us. We, I, I'm looking forward to um, to the book that you're editing and uh, and continuing to till the soil of this conversation. So thank you so much. Sure, sure. Yeah, thank you. That's Heather Zeiger. You can uh, you can find her at the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, cbhd.org. She also posts at heatherzeiger.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Okay, yes, thank you to all of you who are letting us know that um, the show's not posting on uh, on the app. And so if you are looking for the podcast or want to share it um, with somebody else, it is posted at MyFaithRadio.com and on all of our streaming services. So if you, um, if you subscribe to the podcast on, let's say, like, um, I don't know, maybe you have a podcast podcast. Uh, aggregator thing and you subscribe on Spotify or Google or somewhere else, then you're getting the app in your feed. But if you go to the Faith Radio app to listen to the podcast, yeah, the last one that's there is Friday. So we don't exactly know why. We're figuring it out. Uh, in the meantime, thank you for your persistence and um, and listening right now, however you're listening. Great, great opportunity to pray for the technology that's behind all of this, right? Hey, it's back to school time. Uh, Matthew came home from his first day of his senior year yesterday with a list of things um, that he needs uh, for school. And so my guess is you are looking at a list related to going back to school as well. Um, And if you're not, because you're not in that stage of life, let me encourage you to uh, do it anyway. Like, just ask the Lord which which age group, which particular um, school, which particular class, which grade level needs supplies. And then download the supply list. You can do it from your, um, from your county website for your school district, or you can actually go to a lot of big box stores. And when you walk in the door, they'll actually have the list of school supplies for every class in your area. And you could just go and fill your buggy and take it to checkout and then drive from there to the school and give it to the office. Because trust me when I tell you, there's going to be some kid whose family can't do that. And you can be the person who had all the fun filling the buggy with all of the fun stuff and then going and dropping it off. Um, if you'd give them a backpack as well, that would be great. Maybe a lunch bag, um, maybe a gift card in the lunch bag, you know, all kinds of things you could be doing today in terms of back to school. When we think about getting back to school, do you have a back to school Bible verse list? We do. Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Maybe your back to school Bible verse list includes Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. 
and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you have a back-to-school Bible verse list? I'd love to know what's on it. You can text me, 877-933-2484. There are a lot of kids across the country going back to school this year, and they are going to discover that one of the things being offered is the Bible during school hours. Yep, that's right. It's called LifeWise Academy, and we're going to catch up again with Joel Penton about LifeWise Academy and the places across the country where kids are going to have access to the Bible and the study of the scriptures during school hours. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joel Penton is back. We're going to talk again about LifeWise Academy. The book is now available during school hours. I want to encourage you to check that out. Um, LifeWise.org is the website. Joel, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back. It's exciting. Happy new school year. Yeah, happy new school school year to you. Yeah, so um, I want to talk about where the LifeWise Academy buses are rolling. Um, And I thought, you know, let's just take this approach. What, where, who, how, and why? So let's start with what. What is LifeWise Academy? LifeWise Academy is what's known legally as a released time religious education program. And what that means is that we provide Bible education to public school students during school hours. Students are released from school during the school day, We pick them up on a bus or we walk them to a nearby property. We teach them the Bible and we bring them back. Yeah, Um, it's it's so exciting. If you guys literally if you haven't visited the website and (laughs) watched the videos, like just go there. LifeWiseAcademy.org. It'll make you so happy. Um, uh, It will it will thrill your heart. It'll give you um, encouraging like resources, and I'm hoping it will inspire you to um, to think about initiating this in your own community. So, Joel, yeah, that- where where are there already LifeWise Academies? And maybe let's focus on some of the new ones this academic year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they are springing up all over the place. We just started in 2019 with our first two pilot programs when we learned about the Supreme Court ruling that this was legal, this is possible, and the Lord is starting to blow things up. And so this past year, we served 133 schools across four states, those states being Ohio, Indiana, Pennsylvania, and Iowa. And next year, we already have confirmed, and this number will continue to grow, but as of this moment, we have confirmed 309 schools across 12 states and I don't have the list in front of me. I wouldn't even be able to give you the full list of 12. <laughs> it's, main, it's mainly in the Midwest, but um, we've now received um, interest from 49 of the 50 states. So if there's anybody in Vermont listening, you're our last state that we need to get some interest from. But uh, yeah, we are, we're c- connecting with people all over the country. All right. And so um, if a person is interested, um, well, first of all, I don't care if you think you're interested or not. I want you to go to lifewise.org and get interested. You can find your school. Um, that's the, the fastest and best way to find out if your school is one of the 309 across 12 states that are going to have a LifeWise Academy um, next academic year. Um, you'll also be able to find out if there's already been interest shown 
um, in your school and then you get to become part of the group of people who, you know, who might be the nucleus for bringing this um, this program to your school in your community. That's our that's our hope and our goal. Wouldn't you love to see the Bible brought to bear during school hours by kids in your community being positively exposed to um, to God's word during the school day? It's legal. It's possible. Um, and and now there's this just incredible. I mean, I'm just going to call it like a plug and play program. Like it's it's put together for you. Um, and all of the equipping that would be necessary for this to be accomplished in your community um, is um, is a part of this whole LifeWise Academy process. So again, LifeWise.org. Um, the 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 fact that there is interest in 49 of 50 states and 309 schools um, that are going to be experiencing this as of next school year that brings us to the who question because this is not like LifeWise is. Um, uh, you know, hiring a bunch of people and sending them out. So who is doing this and um, like, who's involved? What are the different ways that people can be involved? Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you're bringing this up. It is um, just community members. It is Christians in communities all over the nation who are doing this. LifeWise Academy is really just a tool. And we created it because we saw such a need. The Supreme Court ruled that this is illegal to teach kids the Bible during school hours 70 years ago. And yet there are many challenges and barriers to entry, things to think about like policies and curriculum and fundraising and all these various things that have slowed the um, growth of this strategy. And so we created LifeWise Academy to simply be a tool where we put all the resources, all the training, all of the uh, materials, um, everything that a community would need to, as you say, be plug and play, hit the ground running, not have to reinvent the wheel. And then the people who are doing it are Christians in communities. I mean, there's a community where I know there's a a woman who's a physician who's running point. She's the director. Her day job is that she's a physician. She runs a medical facility. <laughs> and then in her free time, she's the, the LifeWise Academy director. And they have teachers uh, who are members of local churches. Um, it's It's just community members who are stepping up to the plate and saying, we're going to do this. And that's why at LifeWise.org, all the tools are there. Like you said, we'll be in 309 schools, uh, but we've received interest from over 1,400 school districts, which uh, represents thousands of schools. That's more than 10% of the districts in the nation. Um, and even if you're not going to lead, even if you're not going to teach, anybody can go to the website and you can add your name to the list. It starts with a petitioning process. You can be one of the signatures in your community that says, yeah, we want this to happen. And you can share this around. It really is a movement of local people. They just happen to be using a tool called LifeWise Academy. So some of you are wondering, you know, like, how did this get developed? Um, what's the curriculum look like? It The, the curriculum for LifeWise Academy is, um, is powered by the Gospel Project. So it's a curriculum that takes students through the entire Bible over a, a five-year period of time. Um, for those of you familiar with the Gospel Project, you know there's a head, heart, and hands approach to this. So, um, uh, and it's it really is transformative. You know because you're in the Word of God, you know how transformative it is. And so, getting kids into the Word of God gets the Word of God into kids, um, and that means that when they um, encounter the challenges of life, the day-to-day challenges that we know we all face, 
um, they have a resource. They literally have the resource of the Word of God. They know His character. They know His ways. Um, And we're hoping that they will experience transformation through that. So we're going to continue our conversation with Joel Penton here in just a moment. Um, Again, lifewise.org. Check out um, what it is, how it's happening. Take the virtual tour. Like literally you can get on the bus and take a virtual tour of of the experience of LifeWise Academy. And I really want to encourage you to prayerfully consider engaging with this ministry um, in your local community. What would it look like for kids in your community um, to have access in an ongoing way to the Bible during school hours. The book is During School Hours. LifeWise Academy is um, is the name of the ministry, and you can find it all at lifewise.org. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Joel Penton from LifeWise Academy. You can find it at lifewise.org. Joel, you know, um, you know the power of story. You also know a lot of powerful stories. So I'm wondering if you can share some LifeWise Academy stories of transformation with us. I would love to do that because that's what it's all about. I mean, we started LifeWise to provide the life-changing, life-transforming gospel uh, to those who need it most, which are kids in public schools. I think of the boy who uh, almost ironically is named Christian. You can actually see his video on our website on the videos page. Uh, and I say it ironically named Christian. I guess it's not ironic anymore, uh, but it was because his family weren't Christians. They um, didn't go to church. Um, the Christian was unfamiliar with even the word Bible. However, his mother received the LifeWise flyer in the mail when the LifeWise program opened up in their suburban community, and she said, you know what, Bible-based character education, I remember the Bible from my childhood. This type of thing wouldn't hurt uh, my son, so let me sign him up. So Christian went to LifeWise, and he could tell that what we were talking about there was different, that it was different than simply math and science and history, that this is this is truth and this is real. And he fell in love with Jesus. He fell in love with the Bible. He asked his LifeWise teacher if she would be willing to call his mother and invite his mother to church. Uh, she, of course, agreed. And uh, the family went to church, visited, in fact, the, the teacher's church. And they all fell in love with Jesus. The mom is now in a weekly Bible study. Christian is in the class to be baptized. Um, their family recently... Uh, moved uh, to another community, I think for a a different job. And Christian was really bummed that he wasn't going to have LifeWise anymore. And so he and his LifeWise teacher prayed together that LifeWise would start up at that school. And just a couple weeks ago, um, the connections were made and the information was shared that lo and behold, um, God had gone before and starting next year, there will be a LifeWise Mm. (laughs) at Christian school where he's moving to. And, uh, 
So that, and we get to receive stories like that uh, almost on a daily basis of how the Lord is using um, this opportunity because the, the, the Bible is powerful. The, the word of God changes hearts. It does something. And uh, we are not, you know, we are confident that when we fling the word of God, the gospel into the marketplace of ideas, we're confident that it goes to work and it does something. The only thing we need to fear is silence. And that's simply the one thing we're not willing to do is to be silent on the gospel. And so we give the gospel to students and it's really fun to sit back and see the stories roll in. Um, the foundation uh, is the word of God. And those of us who, who have built our lives or are building our lives actively on that firm foundation, like we know the importance of it. Um, we also spend time maybe wondering, you know, how do I even, you know, how, how do I share the reality of the truth I know um, in a culture that seems very, very interested in in other things and other pursuits? And LifeWise Academy um, is a a wonderful vehicle through which you can have a very real substantive gospel impact in your community. And you can do it in community with other people, and that's very important. And you can do you can do it through a model that is not only proven effective, but um, already done all the hard legal work of um, hey, this is legal. This is um, this is a way that is working. This is positive programming. It's long term. It's sustainable. Um, and so, if you're saying to yourself, "Wow, I wish I had a way um, to open the side door of the church." that others would um, would come in in interested ways. This is one of those ways to open the side door of the church. Um, your church might be a LifeWise Academy location. Maybe, maybe you're adjacent to a public school, and you guys have been praying about how to, quote-unquote, reach that school for Jesus. Well, what about opening the side door? Um, and then there's this side door as well in, in the story that Joel just told. How did that family find its way into the church through the side door. Christian was um, was transformed by the experience that he had at LifeWise Academy, and he wanted that transformation for his family. He also, notably, um, made the move from this experience in, in school to the church. And um, that's that's important as well. Like, how are people going to get connected to the body of Christ in the world today? Um, well, they got to get connected to Jesus first. And this is a way that that's happening. So I just want to celebrate it. Um, I want to pray for LifeWise Academy and for God to continue to bless it and for it to flourish. Let's be praying for the 309 schools in the 12 states where LifeWise Academy um, will be active by this time next year. Let's pray for these, um, all of these people across the country who have showed an interest. Uh, there's, there's interest already expressed in 49 of 50 states. If you're in Vermont, we're hoping to um, strike a match of interest with you today. Um, and let's just be targeting prayers in that direction. Um, if you are a, a praying brother or sister and you would, could target some prayers in this direction, um, that would be deeply and greatly appreciated as well. I want you to check it out, lifewise.org. Um, Joel, um, what is a particular way we could be praying for you and the LifeWise team uh, at the opening of this academic year? 
Oh, well, thank you so much. And by the way, Carmen, I need to deputize you. I've never heard someone who's such an articulate champion of, <laughs> of our message. <laughs> You're doing a great job. Um, uh, how you could be praying, you know, we talk about the three dangerous D's on our team. We realize that the greatest dangers um, to the mission are within. And so we talk about the D of disobedience that all of us have sin in our hearts and we need to be protected from uh, personal sin. Those of us in Likewise, we talk about the idea of division, that uh, uh, everything is pushing. You know, there's always wedges that are seeking to get in there to divide us, but we are so much stronger together. And the D of drift, drifting from the gospel-centered mission of the ministry. And so we are waking up every single day, strapping on the armor, going to battle against these Ds. And and we know our greatest uh, uh, weapon is that of prayer, that we have a warrior king who fights on our behalf and so we'd invite uh, your audience to pray for our team pray for our communities uh, that the lord would protect us against those things we're going to do that right now um father we come before you in the spirit of christ we come as brothers and sisters in jesus and in his name um, we ask that you would bind the enemy in uh, in these particular ways that you would bind the effort of the enemy um, to sow division in hearts and minds um, or on teams related to this ministry um, and the working out of your will. We ask that you would bind the enemy's efforts in related to in relationship to drifting um, from the gospel centered um, focus that you have called forth. And Father, we would ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit and in community with fellow believers, you would um, answer this prayer of guarding each and everyone against personal sin. Um, The disobedience in our own lives and even our delay in doing the things that you have called us to do. Um, Father, ignite in us a desire, a heart's desire to turn in obedience toward you not in disobedience away from you. Um, And in so doing, Father, lead us to walk in the way of Jesus every step today um, and in the way uh, that he he tills before us in our life of discipleship, all the way home to your house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Joel, um, I I hope you hear um, the passion that I have for what you're doing. And um, I am one of those people who has showed an interest in one of the 49 of the 50 states. And so I'm I'm actively looking for my 50 people. And so, um, yeah, I'm just letting you know, like, I'm I'm an interested party out here as well. And so thank you for what you've already done, what you're doing. Um, and we're going to have you back because I, I want to know what happens in those 309 schools across 12 states. And then by next this time next year, I want to know that it's a thousand schools and, you know, in 20 states or some crazy number like that, because that's a it's a God thing. And I wholeheartedly believe that he's in it. It is a God thing. And it's going to it's going to take us all. And I, I can't tell you how excited and grateful I am to hear you saying that. And yeah, let's uh uh, by the, you know, uh, soon let's have another conversation here about how things are going in your community. When we're in that thousand, my prayer is that some of those schools are your community, Carmen. I'm excited. Totally. Cheatham County, Tennessee. It's going to be on the map. It's going to be on the LifeWise Academy map. Let's get you, let's get your community on the map as well. All right, friends, what a great day together. Thank you so much for the gift of your time. It's always um, it's always a gift that you share with me um, in our time together. So visit us online, myfaithradio.com. Have a great day and God bless. 
Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.